Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church, this is Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again this morning. We are getting closer and closer to the reopening of our church and sort of the the slow, careful reopening of our world. Uh, Today, I want to ask you a question to plan for our reunion Sunday next weekend. June 14th, we've said we're going to begin to open the doors of the church following the guidelines given to us by health officials. And I want to ask you what your plans and intentions are so we can design the right number of services at the right times with the right number of seats so on and so forth. Here's what I need for you, from you. We send out uh, push notifications on our app, and you've gotten many of those. If you have the app, or if you just downloaded the app this morning, you'll see there's a new one today. And the question is, what are your plans for next weekend? We need to know, yes, June 14th, I am planning to be there. I will be at church. Or uh, I'm coming, but I feel a little hesitancy. I'm gonna, I need some sort of protection to make sure that it's a safe thing to do. Or, uh, I'm not ready yet, I'll be there in a few weeks, or I just can't tell you in the foreseeable future when I'm going to be ready to be back in a gathering place again. If you could fill one of those out to the best of your knowledge today, that would help us plan for next week, and early in the week, we'll announce how many services we're going to have and at what times. If you're helping us make that decision right now, uh, I appreciate it. It's good to be with you again, uh, even in this unusual climate, in this unusual context, in this new way. Uh, It's great that we can continue to worship. The church is still open because God's spirit is still on the move. Uh, And and so today I want to talk a little bit about uh, our world from the perspective of the scriptures. I want to talk about the teachings of Jesus and what the teachings of Jesus have to say in our world today. Uh, You and I have never lived through a time where America, much less the whole world, has been in the kind of turmoil that it's in right now. It looked like we were nearing the end of one crisis just as another one began, and neither one seems to have a a near conclusion. The virus is still there, and we don't have a, a ready promise from science that it can be fixed, and racial tensions in America require a kind of intangible equality that will, that will necessitate the, the healing and changing of some stubborn and some broken hearts. Now, Jesus was a revolutionary. And as a revolutionary, he set the tone of how revolution should go. I'm going to read today one of his most revolutionary parables. Uh, and it might strike you as a surprise that it is a parable of revolution, but it is. We read this parable to our kids at night as a cute bedtime story. We read it as a, as a cute moral tale of how to behave. In the mouth of Jesus, this parable was a Molotov cocktail thrown at negligence, selfishness, and racism. When we read this parable together and understand what Jesus meant by it, it's going to poke at us a little bit, Uh, but it's going to poke at us in all the ways that we need to be poked at. Uh, And then I'm going to offer four challenges that I think would help catalyze healing in our world today. Let's take a minute and pray together. Join me. 
Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that in this broken world, you are still strong. I thank you in this shaking world, you are still steady. May we lean wholly on you and depend on you. May we not take our gaze off of you when the waves are high. God, in this season, put in our hearts a kind of love and a kind of faith that we could not muster on our own efforts. Help us to be like Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, open with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at a parable of revolution known as the Good Samaritan. And if you have hung around churches for a while now, you know this parable, you're familiar with this parable, you can summarize some of the details of this parable, you've read this parable to your kids. Hopefully this parable is about to become wholly new to us, because I think Jesus meant some things by this parable that 2,000 years later we often miss when we read it. Look at this in Luke chapter 10 at verse 25. Follow along with me in God's Word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, these are not questions of mere curiosity to this guy. These were subjects taken from the headlines of the first century Judaic world. There were a couple of rabbis who had been debating these very questions, and their opinions on them were well known and discussed by the other rabbis. The two rabbis were named Shammai and Hillel. Shammai was known to have the more legalistic and strict interpretation of the law, and Hillel was known to have a more open-hearted and liberal version of the law. And Jesus generally falls in line with Hillel. So when this guy comes to Jesus and says, what's the most important commandment? He's asking a question that Shammai and Hillel had debated and other rabbis knew about and discussed the debate between the two. And Jesus says, what do you think? And the guy says, I I side with Hillel. It's love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Because when Shammai was asked, Shammai said, the two most important commandments are love God with all your heart and obey the Sabbath laws. Follow the rules. That's what's most important. Shammai was a little bit of a legalist. Hillel said, no, love God with all your heart, and whatever is hateful to you, don't do that to other people. Uh, that's, how, that's how Hillel put it. That's sometimes referred to as the silver rule, because Jesus, Jesus crafted the golden rule, uh, or you took from the Hebrew scriptures the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Uh, Hillel put it in the negative, don't do unto others what would be hateful to you. So, so this guy says, I stand in the school of Hillel, love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. But now the guy wants to sort of bond with Jesus a little bit more and say, well, since we're on the same page there, let me ask another question that Shammai and Hillel debated to show you how much you and I are buddies. Jesus was popular. He had crowds following him. Everybody wanted to either be on his side or kill him. And so this guy wants to say, look, you and I think the same way. Who's my neighbor? And that's because Shammai and Hillel debated who was actually the neighbor of the the Jewish person in the first century world. The question was, do we have to love and care for the Romans who rule over us? They're not our enemies, right? We can overthrow them. We can bring revolution against them, can't we? And Shammai said, you don't have to love 
the Romans. But Hillel said, yes, you do have to love them. They are your neighbor as well. But both Shammai and Hillel agreed that the Samaritans were not your neighbor. Uh, in fact, uh, they taught that the Samaritan, even as a baby in the crib, was so unclean that if you touched it, it would make you dirty. Yet the Samaritans are this, this outside group, this, this unwelcome group with wrong beliefs and a wrong bloodline. Uh, many, many years before, the uh, Jewish people had been taken into slavery in Babylon, and a few of them stayed behind and intermarried with other cultures, and those were the Samaritans. And so when the Jewish people came back, they said, you're not one of us. You don't get to be a part of us anymore. And forever after, the Samaritans were always outsiders. So, so both Hillel and Shammai say, yeah, you, uh, they, they disagreed on the Romans, but both of them said, yes, you don't have to love the Samaritans. So now this guy says, look, Jesus, you and I are on the same page. We agree with Hillel. Love God, love your neighbor. Let's agree on something else. Who's my neighbor? And that guy did not know what he was in for. Because now Jesus is going to craft one of his most famous parables, a parable that we've told for 2,000 years. And it speaks directly into the question that this guy is asking. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was about an 18-mile road with uh, lots of cliffs and a lot of criminals hung out on the road. Guy was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the, the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, this was actually what the priest was supposed to do. Uh, blood was unclean for the priests. You couldn't touch it. Uh, and certain uh, people, if they were defiled, were unclean. You couldn't touch them either. And if as a priest you touched them, you had to go through a seven-day cleansing ritual uh, during which you could not go work in the temple. So doing this basically rendered you ineffective for a week. It would be like a scientist going to a laboratory to do research on COVID-19, seeing someone on the way who had COVID-19 and realizing, if I get exposed to that, I can't go to the lab. Uh, I'll be banned from the lab. I'll expose everybody else. So I can't go touch this person who has the virus so that I can go work on a cure to the virus. And that's the situation that this priest was in. Walks on by the guy who's on the side of the road. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite is also a kind of priest, but maybe in this case, in this case kind of a, a lesser kind of priest. Uh, so you would expect maybe less of him. Maybe he could stop and help because his uh, duties were not as important. But he walks by as well. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, you have to understand, to the first century reader, this was not inconsequential. The fact that it was a Samaritan mattered a lot. Because Samaritans were, were disliked. They were hated people. They were of the wrong bloodline. They were of the wrong belief system. They were outsiders and traitors. And so when a Samaritan shows up in a parable being told by a Jewish rabbi, you're probably realizing that the bad guy has showed up. This is when the bad guy has walked on the scene. And the guy who's asking Jesus questions is anticipating that now the Samaritan is going to do something worse. The priest walks by and ignores him. The Levite walks by and ignores him. Now a Samaritan shows up. What's he going to do? Probably going to go kick the guy while he's down. That's how those Samaritans are. And so that's what the guy's expecting. And the guy probably wants to hear that. He probably wants to hear the message, yes, the Samaritans aren't our neighbors. We don't have to love them. He's probably got out his big old buttered popcorn and his extra large Dr. Pepper, and he's like, I'm liking this story, Jesus. Go get him, Rabbi. 
because he thinks the Samaritan shows up and Jesus is going to condemn the Samaritan. But as you know, that's not how this parable goes. He went, went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is a, a coin that was worth a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So what Jesus has done in this parable is taken the bad guy and made him the hero. He's taken this, this wrong family, wrong belief, wrong race bad guy and made him a hero better than the best that the Jewish people had to offer. Not only that, but Jesus has made the Samaritan overturn the, uh, the practices of money of the first century world. You were not required to give money away to people like this. Money was for taking care of yourself and taking care of your family, and, and maybe you, you were generous, you, you tithed at the temple, but he was of no obligation to care for this man. So here the Samaritan has gone beyond all bounds, beyond the bounds of, of race and religion and purity. He's touching something unclean. And money in order to love someone who was broken. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You notice he doesn't even say the Samaritan. He can't even bring himself to say it. He doesn't say the Samaritan was the good guy. He goes, yeah, yeah, that, that one guy who was, who was nice, he was, he was the good guy. And Jesus is like, which one was that? The one at the end who does the nice stuff, he, he did the right thing. What, uh, what's, uh, what, was it, what was his name? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Herbert? No, no, the Samaritan. The Samaritan was the good guy. He won't even say it because it's so offensive. It's such a wrong parable for a Jewish rabbi to tell. And this is why this cute little moralistic bedtime story that we read to our kids is actually a revolutionary parable. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The effect that this would have had on a first century audience, the emotional effect on the hearer who is now surprised that the would-be bad guy has turned into the hero of the story, is exactly the same emotional effect that, that we have when we see images of a police officer and a protester kneeling down together. And whichever one of those you're mad at, you realize they're doing something merciful and graceful. You realize that boundaries are being crossed here in a good way. The parable of the Good Samaritan tells a story of someone crossing over boundaries of race and religion and purity and money to love someone who is broken. And the teachings of Jesus are, if you would be my follower, go and do likewise. This is the teaching of God. This is the call of God. This is the requirement of God. If you would be a follower of Jesus, step across boundaries of race and religion and purity and money to love people who are broken. We need good Samaritans in our world today. We need people who are willing to love across boundaries, to do as Jesus commanded, and love not only our friends, but our enemies, to return evil with good, to turn the other cheek and not seek revenge. And so, to that end, uh, I have um, four challenges that I think will help catalyze healing in our world today. 
Um, Jesus here is a revolutionary, and he's, he's telling us a parable of revolution, and he's setting standards for how revolutions are to be run. Um, we're in a stage now where, in our, where our world is facing a kind of revolution, um, and, and it will only come about in certain ways. Uh, I went to Berkeley, so I, I know a little bit about revolutions. Um, r- revolutionary movements only work well if they're, if they're pure and if they're practical. And, and by that I mean a, a revolutionary movement is only pure when it's motivated by, the care, by care for the whole of humanity. If it's a we versus they, win, uh, winner versus loser scenario, a revolution is not going to stick. It's just going to be overturned later by another rival power. Revolutions have to be pure in their motive. They're not self-seeking. They don't seek to win for one party over another. Martin Luther King Jr. cared about what happened to white people, not just black people. Because he didn't just want one side to turn up and conquer the other. He wanted people to grow in their spirituality and their depth and their love so that all of us together could see racism as evil. Revolutions have to be pure in their motive in the sense that they seek goodness for all of humanity. Secondly, they have to be practical. They have to have some kind of goal that they aim at which has tangible, measurable results. And so to that end, I have four challenges which I hope will catalyze healing in our world if we take these on. And hopefully these four are both pure and uh, practical. Um, First of all, uh, if if you're a, a white person, you should be tutoring a kid uh, who's not white and who comes from a disadvantaged context. Uh, If if you have in any way uh, enjoyed privilege in our society, if you've in any way been blessed in your life, you should be reaching out to the least among us, the people who are most in need, the people who are easiest to ignore, to extend compassion and love to those people. Now, before you jump on some reason why you think you have an excuse not to, Just realize, if you do not do this, you are ignoring the explicit teaching of Jesus when he said, go and do likewise. The Good Samaritan felt no particular obligation to care for the guy on the side of the road. He had not beaten him up. He had not stolen his money. The Samaritan's money was his own. But he sacrificed extravagantly on someone he didn't didn't know to care for them because they were disadvantaged and broken by their circumstances. Jesus says, go and do likewise. You don't have to because you don't have to be a follower of Jesus. But if you choose to be a follower of Jesus, this is what he calls us to. Secondly, we need to do a better job caring for the welfare of our police officers. We need to care for their lives, their mental health, and their families. I love the police officers that I know. I love the police officers in our congregation. I have, through the course of my life, known a lot of police officers who are all great people. I do think police officers should be held to the same laws as all the rest of us. I do think they should be held accountable, and there should be better systems of accountability within our police forces. But we need to do a better job caring for them, because that is a harder job than most of us have. So if any of us have in any way spoken ill of police behind their back, if we've held them in contempt or spoken resentfully of them, the next time we see a police officer, we need to go to them, 
and say thank you and offer to pray for them. If we hold in our heart resentment for the evil things that police officers have done, because some police officers have done absolutely evil things and gotten away with it. Some of them have neglected to hold other police officers accountable for evil things and gotten away with it. But if we hold in our hearts any lingering resentment or contempt towards them, just realize the day will come where you and I stand in front of Jesus. And he said, on that day, I'm going to forgive you in the way that you've forgiven others. I'm going to judge you using the same measure you've used against others. I want to be judged with graciousness and forgiveness because I know how broken I've been. I'd better treat others the same way if I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus. Thirdly, we need some kind of truth and reconciliation commission in our society akin to what they did in South Africa after the declared end of apartheid. I was in South Africa in, I think, 1998, uh, not that long after apartheid had been declared officially ended. And they were in the process, political leaders and religious leaders together were in the process of uh, uh, inviting people to come forward to confess and repent and receive amnesty. The only way forward out of centuries of brokenness and prejudice it's going to be through reconciliation and forgiveness, not through revenge. And we have for a long time been a revengeful society. We want to shame and blame and point fingers and bring revenge to people who we think deserve it. That will never heal us. The way forward is through reconciliation and forgiveness. Fourthly, uh, a little bit closer to home, if in the midst of all the crises and turmoil of the world, the best you've been able to do is to go on social media and be sarcastic and condescending and patronizing, uh, and yet you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's time to do one of two things. It, it's time to either stop using social media or it's time to stop calling yourself a Christian. The number of people I've talked to who said they will not go to church because they've seen how Christians talk about other people on social media is starting to be staggering. You don't realize the kind of damage you're doing when your voice on social media is patronizing. People need to hear from Christians more than anything else that Jesus loves them, that Jesus loves uh, our friends and our enemies, and that it's more important to us that they know that Jesus loves them than anything else. If any other message from us is stronger or clearer than the message that Jesus loves others, we've failed to communicate the gospel the way Jesus told us to. And so, for some of us, the best way to care for a broken world right now might just be to talk less. Either talk like Jesus is listening, or don't talk so much. Let me tell you a little bit about my own experience of, of racism. Because I think this will resonate with a lot of people. I think this is going to be familiar territory to a lot of people. Um, I grew up um, being told by my parents that you should treat everyone uh, fairly and equally, that you should never uh, discriminate against somebody because of the color of their skin. And I just took that for granted. I remember the first time I ran into another little boy who said something racist about another group of people, and I remember just being mystified. I didn't understand how someone could come to that belief. I, didn't, I couldn't get the rationale behind it. When I went to college, I was told that I was racist because I was a white person. 
And I resented that, and I didn't understand it, because I didn't hold any malice towards anybody. I never had. But one day in my adult life, a friend of mine who was black asked me, he said, he said, Jim, what's the experience of being white in America? And I said, being white in America? I don't know. And he said, exactly, you've never had to think about it. And that is the experience of being white in America. It's the experience of comfortable apathy. It's the freedom to be negligent. I spent the first decades of my life walking past walking past people who had been thrown on the side of the road because I could. This is why Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. We need a world in which people love across boundaries of race and religion and purity and money. And I'm still learning how to do that. Uh, I still don't hold any resentment towards anyone because of their race. I'm still baffled by that. Uh, I don't dislike police officers, though I know there are some really broken police officers out there, and that's maybe because I'm a pastor, and I know there's some really broken pastors out there too. I still don't understand enough the experience of people who have lived different lives than me. And I still don't care deeply enough about people who have not had the same opportunities I have. I haven't spent enough of my own money on people who have been thrown on the side of the road because I could walk by. I am the well-intentioned Samaritan. I'm not the good Samaritan. Not yet. And I think that's the story of most of us. I think most of us don't walk around holding malice towards people of other groupings. Most of us, I think. Some do, sure, but I think most of us don't. And we don't see our own negligence for what it is because nobody calls it to our attention. And it's easy enough to ignore it. But don't miss the teachings of Jesus on this one. The Samaritan was the bad guy who turned out to be a hero because he loved across boundaries of race, religion, purity, and money. And the world needs good Samaritans. So, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us stand condemned under the law. All of us deserve hell. All of us need a Savior and the cross of Jesus to take our sins away from us. 
All of us need grace and forgiveness, a kind of supernatural grace which we cannot muster on our own, which only God can put in our hearts. So turn in the direction of Jesus and come to the table. At the table of Jesus, the scriptures teach, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. In Christ, all are one. If that's the kind of world you long for, come to the table. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.